Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at the Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. Get it in your hand, okay? And I want you to say this with me, and I need you to say it with a little bit of oomph in it, okay? All right, you with me? This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can be what it says I can be. It was written for me, for my correction, my direction, and my soon coming resurrection. Oh Lord, be it unto me according to your word in Jesus name. Amen. So I'm walking out of the streets just the other night. I guess it was last night. It might have been last night. And I was walking on the streets of Pastor Jonathan, and we're trying to get back to our vehicles to get back to the camp. He had some things to work on, and, and uh, we're, we're working our way back. And lo and behold, while we're walking down the street, and it's a very quiet street, there, might, there probably wasn't 15 people within 100 yards of where we were. It's not in the Bourbon Street area. It's not in Jackson Square. It's not down by the river. It's just a side street. And a guy walks up to us while we're walking by, and he went, shh, shh, and he started hissing at us probably 30 years old, give or take a year or two, and he's wearing a raccoon Snuggie. He's full body clothed with a raccoon thing on there, hissing at us. And he thought he's just going to walk on. Well, I'm a raccoon hunter. And I said, come here, coon, you know. And so we started to talk to him, and early in the stage, I asked him, and I said, do you know the Lord? That's not usually the question I ask up front. Usually it might go a different pattern, a little bit more relationship, but I just needed to point blank ask him, do you know the Lord? He says, oh, yes. He, oh, yes. He said, 100%. He said, I am Southern Baptist through and through. At that moment, I wanted to get a Sunday school teacher or a pastor and say, how is this theology working out? Because he didn't just have a dirty, nasty raccoon outfit on, hissing. His eyes were boggling. He was on things. He's homeless. Last I checked, David said, you don't need to get your theology from the Pentecostals, from the Methodists, from the... That, that's not where we get our theology. We get our theology from the Bible. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Paul said, and Peter said, that the, the righteous are scarcely saved. So it's very important to be righteous, what we preached about last week, and not just have a religious perspective. And I've never seen him begging for bread, nor forsaken. He did not resemble what a Christian should look like. There's something a Christian should be wearing once they become a Christian. There's something a Christian should be prepared for when they become a Christian. There's something that a Christian, a language the Christian should speak when they've been converted. Lifestyle should change. There should be a deliverance and a freedom that comes with being a Christian. In Matthew chapter 22... Pick it up in verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Some years ago, I had a profound 
awareness. I was preaching at a conference with a dear friend, and they went and allowed a few people to share some things, and as they started to share, every one of them, interestingly enough, made a reference of a secular movie to declare a biblical principle. Now, I'm not talking about just like a good movie, but I'm talking about a movie that has stuff like foul language, obscenities, uh, uh, just had sexual scenes in it. I don't think Christians should be being entertained with that kind of stuff. I really don't. I don't think that that's that a real heavy amen, but sometimes I've got this little philosophy, okay? I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of street talking to you for a second. You either say amen or oh me. Come on, somebody. The Bible says, do not partake with unfruitful works of darkness. It's what the Bible says. And to even bring it down simple enough, basic instructions before leaving earth, Bible. That's an acronym for Bible, okay? We've got to go by what the Bible says, not by what the culture has allowed. Culture does not dictate holiness. Holiness is unto the Lord. His way or no way. A lot of people don't want to hear that. Uh, you can't find another way to heaven. Jesus is the door. You can't climb in from somewhere else. You can't do like I used to do and like maybe some of you used to do, pry the window or the sliding glass door open to get in late when you should have been in earlier. It's not going to work that way in heaven. It just isn't. So we need to be aware. So they stood up and they started making references towards secular movies and trying to preach Jesus out of a secular movie. That's not what a parable is. A parable is a short, fictitious story that Jesus is illustrating, not from a movie, but he's illustrating himself of what life would look like if the kingdom of heaven were able to be seen by those who could not see it. He's trying to teach them a moral or spiritual principle. So Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Now, I have a lot of people, and I'm sure you do too if you have children that have come up and said, I would like my daughter to marry that son, and, and I'd like for that daughter to marry this son. And there's a few times, everything has worked out really well, but I thought, this arranging marriages would be a lot of fun. For me, but maybe not for them. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Do you know that there's a kingdom of heaven? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. A kingdom is where there's a king that has a domain. Okay? We need to welcome the kingdom of heaven into our life. But if the kingdom of heaven, and I think all of us want to go to heaven, or at least we want heaven to come to us and then go to heaven, we need to understand there's a king of that domain. There's rule. Uh, there's order. There's structure. It's what we call theology, theo, theocracy. There's a headship that flows down. And the head of the church is not a pope. It's not a pastor. It's not a priest, it's Jesus. 
Jesus is the head of the church. So as we listen to this parable, we need to remember who's teaching it. We need to remember who's saying something. And listen, it's not a deacon. It's not, it's not, it's not a wealthy member. Jesus is the head of the church. It's not a strong personality. Jesus is the head of the church. So we're going to look at what Jesus says about the kingdom of heaven. Because I think you want to go to heaven. And as a pastor, as a shepherd, as an evangelistic heart, I want you to go to heaven. I want my wife to go to heaven, even though she and I, according to the word of God, are not going to be married there, but yet we're going to be married. You say, well, how could that be, preacher? I'm happy you asked. Because when we get married up there, we're going to be married to Jesus and not to one another. Jesus is not a polygamist. He's a spirit, and we get to build a relationship with him and live with him eternally through that relationship. Are you with me? So the kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like a king. He said, it's like a king. We'll go into verse, uh, verse uh, two. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. So we see there's a king. That would represent in the story God. It would represent God the Father. Uh, there's a son. Guess who that would represent? Jesus the Christ. And, and then it implies there's a marriage for his son. So being that there's a marriage, there's a bride. That's us. You and I are the bride of Christ. We're in this story. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a great, great hope and possibility. He's speaking of this one who has an arranged marriage to save the world to save you and to save me. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. You know this. He knew you before you're in your mother's womb, and he has a predestined, not predetermined. Calvinism would tell you that it's predetermined. That person's going to heaven, and God already knows that person's going to hell. I don't mess with the sovereignty of God. I put my faith in it. I don't have to try to put him in my little peabody brain up here and try to think I've got God all figured out and have to have something to get it there to understand that he's got to do it my way. No, no. The reality is everybody who was born has the possibility to go to heaven. And if you even brought up the argument, which very few people do because I don't think they look deep enough into it. What about all the people who died before the cross? When it says God so loved the world, he loved everybody from Adam and you may be surprised you're going to find some people in heaven that you did not know were able to be in heaven. But you have to understand that Jesus, according to Peter and according to uh, the, 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 the prophets, he went into Sheol, he went into Hades, and he preached. He preached. And it said prison doors opened up. Isaiah 61 says he preached to the prisoners and set captives free. That's not just up here. When God so loved the world... He went into the pits of the earth and preached to those who did not know him. What a loving God. What a loving God. Everybody's been given the opportunity and everybody will be. The grace of God has appeared to all men. To all men. 
He goes on to say he foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among the brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, you and I, these he also called, you are called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, thee he has also glorified. I want you to know something. Everything is already taken care of. He has already, he's called you. Yes, he has. He, he's already known you. Uh, he, he's, he's already given you the opportunity to come out. He's already justified you. What people don't understand, it's already been done. I remember when I was in college and I busted something, I broke some of the fraternity house and I didn't go back the next year. I dropped out of high college because I was afraid of the bill and they might find out. And unbeknown to me, my dad had already paid for it. And it was there that I became not just a, not just a, a, a partier, but I became an addict when I made that bad decision. Because I didn't get filled up what was taken care of for me, I became seven times worse than I was. Kingdom principles. I want you to know Jesus has already died for you. Jesus has already paid the penalty, penalty for, your, for your, your sin and for your, your evil and for your wickedness and your iniquity. He's already taken care of it. Everything is taken care of. And matter of fact, he's already made a place of glory for you. It's already provided for you. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not that all should just have salvation, but their life should change. But he's not willing that any. I think it's important for us to understand this in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So my point is, in the story of the parable, we are the expected bride. We are the arrangement. God has made an arrangement for you to be in heaven in eternity. And not just you, but your worst enemy. He's already made arrangements. He's, he's already set it in order. For everybody, anybody, whosoever. Amen? Verse 3. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants and telling them, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed. And all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Notice here, he said he sent out his servants. Do you remember Chicago? Uh, do you remember LTN, Love Thy Neighbor, the fair Mardi Gras? Yeah. You see, right now, those people, part of us, are doing what he said should be being done. When they did Love Thy Neighbor yesterday morning, you may, you may be saying, I can't get to New Orleans and I can't walk that long, but you could come and join Denny and the team uh, once a month and go out to the neighborhood apartments and welcome every new neighbor into our community. Giving them a loaf of bread or some nice little gift there, a Bible, and, and get a chance to pray with them just to encourage, just to love on somebody. Get involved. That's what servants do. Amen. Servants serve. They don't wait to be served. That's what they do. So they're out serving. They're out calling and inviting people to this wedding. But some were not willing to come. The decision whether you are or aren't, whether you do or don't, is yours. It's theirs. You have a free will. If there was not a free will, there would not be the love of God. It would just be the control of God. 
but this is the love of God. So they're out evangelizing is what they're doing. That's what's happening in this story. They're literally in this parable Jesus said. He said, you need to evangelize. So the, the, the parting words he left us, the parting words he left us is go preach, go reach people, go herald, go proclaim the good news to other people. Notice here there were some that he went to first, but they were not willing to come. This is an interesting perspective, but the gospel says it would come to the Jew first and then to the Greek. It would come to the chosen people, the Jewish people, who once were Israel, who was the Hebrews. It would come to them first, but it says they rejected it. They rejected it. They, they didn't recognize it. They didn't accept the cornerstone. Jesus is getting ready to build his church. But not just his church here on earth, but he's getting ready to build his church in heaven also. His dwelling place, his new Jerusalem, by lively stones, by people being added unto it. But the Jews rejected it. And that's what's happening in this parable. They said, no, we don't need it. Our religion is good enough. He said, well, go tell the others. Go tell the non-Jews. Go tell the Gentiles. He said, tell them that everything's ready. Everything is ready. I think we need to be more concerned about what's ready here than what's ready here. I hear a lot of people arguing and talking about prophecies and end time prophecy. And this is going to happen, but we need to be telling each other to get ready. Verse five is interesting, but they made light of it and went their ways. One to his own farm, another to his business. So to make light of it, it was of little importance to them. I think we have to be very cautious because I know predominantly where I'm speaking right now is that most of you would say, hey, I'm good with the Lord. I've, I've made my decisions. I've got ready. I've got my wedding garment. I'm ready to go. But is it as, as important to us that we're telling others? Have you ever been around that person and all they talk about is this, that, or the other thing? That's what's important to them. Did you hear me? That's what's important to them. If all they talk about is what they're talking about. That's what's important to them. How important is salvation to us? How important is the redemption of souls to us? How important is reconciliation for us? How important is the restoring of the hearts of fathers to children and children to fathers? How important? What is important to us? It said they made light of it. Usually when you make light of something, you joke it off. You laugh it off, you goof it off. Silly, it's not necessary, whatever, whatever. But don't let, don't let the storyline of Jesus be a light matter. They said, it's not for me. Or they, maybe they're saying, not right now. Don't put it off. Don't shrug it off. Jesus is sharing a story. He's concerned. It matters to him how we handle. Verse 6, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. This is nothing new. Matter of fact, later Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 24. He said that they're going to come and they're going to uh, uh, persecute you. They're going to cause tribulation to come to you. And matter of fact, they're, they're going to put you in prison. And he said, oh, 
They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. Now, that's not something to make light of. I honestly think it's time to become a serious Christian. I think it's time to become very serious about our Christianity. Not just series of this and series of that, but serious about our daily walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. Persecution. To be seized means restricted. Friends, we've experienced some of that in the last few years. Didn't come the way we might have thought it would come. But around this country, they're looking to seize Christians or biblical beliefs to restrict us from what we can say and what we can do. Oh, it's happening. And then treated spitefully, imprisoned. And then to realize to kill you would be to crucify you. Don't think it hasn't happened before. And don't think it can't happen again. Jesus wouldn't teach it if we didn't need to learn something from it. But here's the thing about killing you or crucifying you. You can't kill a man who's already died to himself. You cannot kill a man who's already died to himself. I don't know that there's a higher honor on earth or a greater love to lay one's life down for his friends. It will only accelerate his reward. If somebody were crucified, imprisoned, or murdered, it would accelerate their eternal reward. Verse 7. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. We don't preach about the fury of God often. The Bible talks about the anger of God, the wrath of God. The zeal that consumes him for his house. It said the king, when he heard it, again, I have to remind you, because we've gotten much more earthly oriented in our Christianity than heavenly minded or spiritually minded. To be carnally minded uh, is warfare, struggling, stress, it's death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So I'm going to remind you who's teaching, Jesus. You know, a lot of people don't understand something about Mardi Gras. I shared it with the students, and their eyes popped open. like, oh, it's actually a religious holiday for the Catholics, for the Catholics. Other people jumped in and bandwagoned with them and go for it. Come midnight on... Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, at midnight, every bar closes. It's the only time during the year bars close in New Orleans. They come with fire hoses and they clean off the streets, cleanest it'll ever look. Get all the people out. They make them go home because they have to get ready for tomorrow, the next day, Ash Wednesday, where they go to the priest and confess all their sins. They can do anything they want on Fat Tuesday, anything they want. And then they go to the priest and they confess their sin. And they get a little mark of ash and then they fast. And they might fast candy. They might fast something for 40 days. And they're forgiven. They're atoned for all their sins. But the Bible teaches 
There is no mediator between man and God. You telling me your sins, I can do nothing for that. Nothing. Now, if you've offended me and caused a fault in my life, you confess that sin, we pray with one another, and there's a healing. So those people right now literally think they can do this and then be right with God because a priest hears their sin. And then we find out that a bunch of those priests, a bunch of them, not all of them, child molesters. But we still walk around with our head in the sand. Well, at least they believe in God. But they worship through people to get to him. Sad thing is we do that here too. We worship through people who sing our favorite songs, preach our favorite kind of messages, hold our special kind of meetings or whatever, and we start going through those to get to Jesus. He said, he's made everything ready for you. Amen? We need to come through the way, the truth, and the life. It said the king, remember God, he was furious, and he sent out armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Maybe you say, well, that's, that's a mean God. He made a way. They resisted that way. They rejected that way. Jesus taught about it in the chapter right before, that we've been given a land to take care of this land. And then he went off and he went to a far away. Jesus has gone off to heaven, friends. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's allowing you and I to tend to this earth, to tend to this world right here. But he's going to come back, like with the ones with the talents, and see what you produce for him. We need to be producing godly children. We need to be producing souls. We need to be producing a harvest of love, joy, peace, long suffering. We have responsibility. He's coming back, not just for us but to see what we did with it. Amen? And it said, but some people beat up the ones that he sent, and they beat up other ones. He said, then he thought, well, I'll just send my son. He said, I'll send my son. You know what they did with him? They killed him. You know, it's not just a parable. It's a prophetic teaching, because that's what happened to Jesus. That's what happened to Timothy. That's what happened to Peter. It's what happened to John. It's what happened to those early disciples, the one we read and study from. People resisted them, hated them. Tried to seize them, imprison them, killed some of them. I thought, well, I'll send my son. And they killed Jesus. They killed the prophets before him. So he was furious. In 2 Peter chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and in the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are there in it will be burned up now I say this to you gently but I somewhat believe that there is a crisis in our earth of global warming. I really do. Hell's getting hotter. Oh, you need to hear me. Hell, according to scripture, is in the pit of this earth. Pit of this earth. 
And if oil was ever going to run out, it would have already run out because it would have burned it. But an eternal God made an eternal earth. So we're fighting and warring over things that make no sense but carnal. But the day of the Lord is approaching quicker and quicker. Matter of fact, it's one day closer than it was yesterday. And the closer of his return is the closer it catches on fire and melts and burns. I don't spend a whole lot of time in the kitchen but walking through. Sometimes we dance in the kitchen. We laugh in the kitchen. But I don't do a whole lot of the cooking. I've cooked two meals in our married life at home. Hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. One meal was hot dogs. That one's macaroni and cheese. But I've turned the stove on before. When I turn it on, it doesn't just go fire. It warms up. Things are heating up right now. They just don't know where to look. I said last week, they're looking at political, governmental. They're looking at uh, 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 social. They're looking at all these problems around the world, but they're not looking at the spiritual and the moral problem that we have. If we could get people's hearts right, Things will be much better here. So you see the scripture, it's going to burn up. Verse 8, back to our parable. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. They're not worthy. They put no worth in him. They put no respect in it. I, I don't understand. I'm not going to meddle there. I'll come right back over here. He's saying even though people don't want to come, it's still ready. Even because there's people that say, oh, you don't have to. There are people literally today saying, you don't have to go to church. He's not coming back for Google. He's coming back for his church. The Bible literally says, but I don't know if, I think the demons fear the Bible more than we do. I really do. So they tremble at it. Do not forsake the assembling together as a man or some are. I think you need to understand that if I were to forsake Pastor Joel and no longer talk to him, I would hurt him. But it would hurt me. Because, Donnie, you and I have what each other needs. And that's why God puts us together. But if we don't value church, we might not value heaven. I know we wrestle with that, but who's the king? Who's really ruling what goes on down here? Us or him? I know who's going to have the final say. I know that. He's the king of the kingdom. And I'm a true believer that we need to have a heavenly mind here that would prove whether we're heavenly bound for there. Verse 9, almost done. Therefore, go into the highways. And as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Let's put on a couple things here. Go into the highway. Now, the last I checked, the highway can get you somewhere in your community quicker, safer, 
but also it can take you other places. I'm so happy those people got on the highway and went to New Orleans to preach the gospel. It's a beautiful picture for us. I'm not just preaching this because they're there. I preached this to them before they went there. We need to go to the highways. We need to go to the byways. We need to go to villages, go to towns, go to neighborhoods, go to, to events. We need to go and invite as many people as you find. Matter of fact, Scripture says uh, to warn all creatures. But we need to be inviting people. There are people sitting in here today because you're invited. That is a step of the process. But he said we need to be inviting people to be prepared for the wedding of Jesus Christ. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls. And listen, just because somebody else isn't doing it should not devalue what you're doing nor frustrate you with what they're not doing. Concern, absolutely. You be responsible for who you are because you'll answer to him. I shared something last week. You can be right and be absolutely wrong. I shared something with somebody. I was right in what I said, but my spirit was wrong. Don't be self-righteous and be eternally wrong. This physical man that punches walls and yells words or overeats, overdrinks, whatever you do when you get frustrated and angry and things aren't going your way, is not going to heaven. But your spirit man is. So don't get distracted by what others aren't doing. Keep doing what you're doing, and eventually they'll be attracted. Amen? Is anybody with me this morning? All right. Populate heaven. Remember, it's a parable. It's an illustrative teaching story that is trying to bring a moral or a point. Get as many as you can. Well, somehow, people started to try to do that, and people got judging, or people got off track, and the churches got bigger, and churches got bigger. We have no church growth philosophy here whatsoever other than populate heaven. That's our desire is to populate heaven. If anybody has that mind, I don't think anybody here does, I like that when the church is smaller. Read your Bible. One day, 3,000 people were added to the church. Daily. I don't know everybody at church anymore. Who said you have to know everybody? Who said you have to know everybody? One day, 3,000, and then... Daily, people were added to the Lord, and the Lord put them in the church. Now, church must be important if people get saved and Jesus puts them in the church. It must be important. So we want to populate heaven. Verse 11. But when the king came to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. But when the king came out to see the guest. He's coming back. He's concerned for those who are his. Remember, many were invited. Few came in respect to how many were invited. When the king came out to see the guests, so often we have a mindset when it comes wedding time that the, the wedding party stays hidden and then they get presented. 
It's a beautiful thing. But notice here, the king who's having the wedding comes out to see the guest. See the guest. He wants to have relationship with you. But he saw one who was not prepared. Notice in the midst of all this, he was looking for something. He's looking for those who are prepared, but concerned with the one who wasn't. He didn't sit there and applaud the ones who are prepared. They get an eternal reward. But we have this sense that we come to church and we feel like we need to be applauded. We need to be recognized. I mean, people can literally get offended if they serve and do some great deed. I'm not here. None of you guys. Those other people you used to go to church with. But they do something for the Lord, but the pastor doesn't say anything about it. They get offended. We want to be recognized. But the reality, there's nothing wrong to thank somebody. Don't get me wrong. And that's not going on here. Nobody's done it. We're going through a parable. He came out to see. He was more concerned with who wasn't prepared than he was with the ones who were prepared. Oh, that we could see through the eyes of Jesus. He didn't even shake my hand. The scripture teaches us in Revelation 19, 7 through 10. And Jonah, you can or Andrew's here. Andrew, you can join me. Let us be glad and rejoice. Revelation 19, 7. And give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. What color of wedding dress do we usually wear? White, right? Lamb. And he said, these are the true saints of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 21, 9. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Remember, there's a wedding, an arranged wedding. We're meant to be the bride. We're called to be, we're invited to be the bride. It's your invitation. We have to get ourselves ready. We have responsibility. We need to take off our raccoon suit and put on our wedding garments. We need to take off our anger and put on our love. We need to take off our self-defense and put on our preference of one another. So he said to him, the one who had no garment, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So the king's looking out over everybody. And he's looking and saying, who's prepared? Who's right? Who's clean? Who's forgiven? Who's making good choices? Who's honoring? Who's valuing? Valuing? valuing. He's looking out. And he walks up and he doesn't go, you enemy, you low down, you dirtball, you scumbag. He didn't know. That's not what he said. He said, friend, I think our evangelism needs to be friendly. Not judgmental, not critical, not abusive, not harsh. You know, when I was talking 
to the raccoon guy. Down the street comes a microphone preacher. There's not seven people within 50 yards of us screaming at the top of his lungs. Turn or burn. Get right or get left. God's going to destroy you. You're of Sodom and Gomorrah. You're not right. I mean, just, just blasting harsh preaching at them. We don't, we, don't, we don't believe in that. It's the good news. It's the love of Christ, meekness and gentleness. He came up to me, and, and they, one guy started screaming at us. I said, excuse me. I said, I'm trying to minister to this guy. He said, are you telling him to repent or he's going to perish? I said, I'm ministering to him. Just Do you mind backing up? He said, are you ready to get your head cut off? I said, well, I guess so. I'm staring you down. I was just angry, belligerent. I said, do you know what Jesus said when he said repent? Yeah, or perish. I said, the first time he said, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. I said, you're not reaching a hand out. You're stiff-arming these guys. And the guy that I was ministering to was angry, frustrated, hurt, because he'd probably been yelled at his whole life. Probably been screamed at his whole life. Never comforted. Never encouraged. You know the sad thing was? Someone told me, said, there was more life in raccoon's eyes than there was in the preacher's eyes. Oh, the danger of religion. He said, friend, how did you get here without a garment? So obviously somebody invited him to the wedding, but they didn't tell him he needed to change his life. Oh, you may be sitting in church, but your heart's far from God. You're still living in the worldliness of the, everything around you. He said, how did you get here? You can't go to where you need to go without the garment change. You've got to take the old man off and put the new man on. You can't get saved and say be the same person you were and think you're saved. No, no, listen to me. This is God's story. And he's looking out and saying, they're all dressed. They're all in a wedding garment. He didn't say they had to have the most expensive dress on or, or the one this long. And they didn't all have to have the same dress on. But you need to be clothed. In his righteousness, in his likeness. It was evidently obvious to the king who was and who wasn't ready. Very obvious. But he still asked a question. He said, how did you get here? He says he was speechless. Can you answer for yourself? Not defend yourself, but answer for yourself. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, always be ready to give an answer concerning the hope that lies inside of you. But are you ready to answer for the things that aren't prepared? He said he was speechless. Couldn't speak or answer for himself. Last week in the scripture, who do you say that I am? Then the king said to the servants, one of my big concerns for that guy without the wedding garment, somebody misinformed him or ill-informed him. They said, oh yeah, just say the prayer after me and you'll be just fine. I don't think just fine is living on the streets of New Orleans, half drunk, half drugged, hissing like a raccoon, walking around in, in baby uh, pajamas. Something's not right. 
something's not right. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me clear something up for many people that may have a misperception of this expression. Bind him up hand and foot. Is that a bad thing? Not really. I saw a guy off of Bourbon Street who was getting ready to be a big threat to a lot of people. And the police officers bound him hand and feet. Protected many people from the danger he was getting ready to occur. And you're thinking, well, he's throwing them into hell. You know, the descriptive here, he says, cast them into outer darkness. It's separation from God. Separation from God. He's living separated from God, but he's going to allow him to see the darkness. The light has been shining on him, giving him an opportunity, but he didn't have an answer. He had no answer. Couldn't speak for himself. And then it said there's going to be weeping and gnashing teeth. That's not, a, that's not a hell description. It's a judgment seat description. I think we so often bypass the last stop. The last stop. We so often just have people in heaven and hell going to heaven or going to hell. But the Bible doesn't say everyone's going to heaven. It doesn't say everyone's going to hell. Everyone's either going to heaven or going to hell. But everyone has to go to the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone. Nobody can get around that. Get around it. He didn't throw them into hell. So this lifestyle, this is what it's going to get you. The last I checked, he can call people out of darkness too. And that weeping and gnashing of teeth is just that sense of, of no hope, fear, trepidation. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Wouldn't it be nice to feel that way before you did things instead of feeling that way after you've done those things? What's that called? It's called the fear of God. Verse 14, as you stand to your feet, please. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. For many are called, but few are chosen. He said, go call as many as you can. And then at the last point, the king makes the judgment and chooses who is and who isn't. Who is and who isn't what? Prepared. Right with God. Acceptable to God. Remember, it's a king who had an arranged marriage, so it's his way or no way. Matter of fact, the old saying is, and maybe you've used it before, my way or the highway, their way or the highway, right out of this verse. It's not a bad thing. It's a decision thing. We get to make that decision. Many are called. We need to call as many as we can. Few are chosen. The few are chosen are the few who make the choices. What kind of choices are you making with your life? Listen to me. I love you deeply, dearly. I've been sitting on this for weeks, praying over this. 
I would hope that if I were not right with God, there'd be somebody who would love me enough to suggest it, to present it. Friends, without repentance, there is no kingdom. Without repentance, there is no salvation. Without confession and profession in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've all sinned and we will all stand before the judgment seat. But the last thing you want is to fall short of his glory. That eternal glory. You want to get things right with the Lord. So I would ask you this morning, are you ready yourself? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready? Would you be ready to be judged by God right now? It's a sobering thought. And I'd ask you the other question. Are you inviting people? Are you inviting others? You may say, well, the guy just didn't know what to wear. It's kind of mean. Come on. Have you ever gotten an RSVP? What snappy casual? So you call somebody. Excuse me. Uh-huh. What is the dress code for tonight? Snappy casual. I know that much. Thank you. But what does snappy casual mean? Read the Bible. I know. But what does that verse mean? Take off the old garments. Take off your religion. Take off your worldliness. Take off your badges of honor. And be clothed with Christ. New garments. Clean. White. The righteous acts of the saints. Change where you habitate. Change where you participate. Come to Jesus. And if you have, we need to be inviting people. You see, number one would be loving God. Number two would be loving others. If you're loving God but not telling others, you're only halfway there. Only halfway there. Nobody, listen to me, somebody's going to get this. And I would rather us have problems of where to put you and send you so may a hundred of you show up tomorrow where can I evangelize nobody is excluded from evangelism because nobody is excluded from being evangelized nobody we need to be telling others so here we go first step in the altar call are you ready are you yourself ready are you right with God if you're not right with God and you want to get things right with God, nobody's going to judge you. Come to the altar and just take a few moments and get your life right with God. Acknowledge you've sinned. Acknowledge you've fallen short. Acknowledge that you need Him. Profess that you're going to walk with Him. You can come to the altar now. If you're in a place in your life and you're saying, you know, I'm not telling people. I'm not telling people like I should be telling. I'm not inviting people like I should be inviting people. Come ask the Lord to give you a heart for people. Come repent for not being a servant. 
If you haven't told somebody in the last week, you've missed a lot of opportunities. And listen, they've missed a lot of possibilities. Every opportunity that you miss, they miss a possibility. So if you're saying, I want to tell more, I want to share more, come join us in the altar for a moment. Come join us. Now, Lord, I pray for the work of the Holy Spirit to convict, to convince us of anything that's not right with you, any area we're not right with you. Lord, help us to be prepared for heaven, yes, for that judgment seat, to be properly clothed. Important for us to realize something. Going to church in and of itself does not make us right with God. When we get right with God, we'll go to church. I don't know what your raccoon pajamas are. But if you've been acting a fool and not like Christ, you need to take something off and let him put something on you. If your marriage is consumed with anger, hatred, frustration with each other, if your personal life is consumed with self-reliance, self-gratification. If out of your mouth still comes blessings and cursings, the Bible says it shouldn't be that way. I'm not trying to get nitpicky. I just want to rightly divide the Word of God. To lust after a woman, gentlemen, is to commit adultery. To covet somebody else's this, that, or the other thing is covetousness. It's not right with God. It's amazing how many people want revival without repentance. They want His promises without His presence. It won't happen. It won't sustain. I still feel like there's some people here that need to get things right with God. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to present yourself, to commit yourself, to dedicate yourself. If you would like to join this altar for either one of those calls, getting right with God, or making it right by inviting other people, I'll give the opportunity to come down here this morning. You know, I've been at many places where they say, look at your neighbor and ask him, do you need to be down there? saying there's anything wrong with that. I think it could be evangelistic. I quite often ask, if I were to come and ask you personally, are you right with God, would you be able to say yes? And if you can't, don't miss this opportunity. You need to seize the opportunity of a lifetime. In the lifetime of that opportunity, don't miss this moment. You just don't know. you're not right with God, come on down here. Let's pray the prayer that David prayed. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit. Cast me not away from your presence, or in other words, into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do not take your presence from me. Don't let me give up the Spirit of God. And restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I want you to pray that with me, especially for those of you up front. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And then I'll be free of my transgressions. And I'll be able to teach transgressors the ways of the Lord. Lord, I want to be right with you. Clothe me in your righteousness. Let me walk in your likeness. May I be a reflection of the image of the one who's created me. Here is my life. I give it, Lord, to you. It's in Jesus' name. I confess my sins and trust my Lord. I trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the word of God today. Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's very important that after you receive the Word of God to make sure it gets sealed in your heart. I'd like to do that with you. I'd like to pray with you that we could tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the Word of God have free course, move swiftly in us, and it would glorify God. You know, the Word of God is a seed. You can expect results out of it. You can expect fruit out of it. You can expect something to be produced. Again, I'm so thankful that you joined us. Now allow me just a moment to pray with you. Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God Himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you. And may the Lord find great delight in you. And may you find great joy in Him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you. And may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.